You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. It's my desire to someday be like Josh, so I'm trying tonight. <laughs> to take a step in that direction. I, I just noticed it. Did you? <laughs> it's a long journey. Someday, someday, if I keep striving. Uh, did you wear that shirt this morning? Yeah. Okay, see, I'm trying to, I noticed it and I'm trying to catch up. So good to see you tonight. Also, how many of you knew that Heidi was in the auditorium this morning when I like buried? <laughs> yeah. And I no longer, if I did trust you, I no longer do. So thanks for that. She told me I went over the line again. So uh, good to see you tonight. If you will, Esther chapter 4 tonight, and looking forward to uh, our study as uh, we resume. I hope last weekend God used our stewardship and the teaching and the reminders just to help you as you process your own stewardship and management, and appreciate Brother Skelly being with us. Looking forward to resuming our study tonight. Esther chapter 4, and let's begin in verse 4. So we kind of Two weeks ago would have gone into chapter 3. The first three verses talk about Mordecai and his processing of the decree of the king and of Haman. And uh, so we read that already. And so we're going to pick up in verse 4 as Esther now is introduced to the same information. Esther chapter 4, let's pick up, if you will, in verse 4. So Esther's maids and her chamberlains came and told it her, then in reference to Mordecai and how he's dressing and carrying himself. Then was the king exceedingly grieved, and she sent raiment to clothe Mordecai and to take away his sackcloth from him, but he received it not. Then called Esther Hatok, one of the king's chamberlains, whom he had appointed to attend upon her, and gave him a commandment uh, to, <laughs> to Mordecai to know what it was and why it was. So Hatak went to Mordecai into the street of the city, which was before the king's gate, and Mordecai told him of all that had happened unto him. And of the sum of the money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasury for the Jews to destroy them. Also he gave the copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them, to show it unto Esther, and to declare it unto her, and to charge her that she should go in unto the king to make supplication unto him and to make request before him for her people. And Hatak came came and told uh, Esther the words of Mordecai. Again Esther spake unto Hatak and gave him commandment unto Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king in the inner court who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live. But I have not been called to come in unto the king these thirty days. They told to Mordecai Esther's words, then Mordecai commanded to Esther uh, to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. Here now is a key verse of our book and of our study. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise of the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And so we want to look at tonight as we've been studying through different seasons that we need to step up in. We tend to lump all of Esther together, but there are, there are ebbs and flows. And I don't know if that struck you, but several years passed between um, chapter three, chapter 2 and chapter 3. Esther was queen for several years before 
this all came to a crisis. We tend to kind of read the book, you know, how long does it take to read Esther? Maybe an hour uh, for moving slowly and absorbing. This happened over a lengthy period of time, and there were multiple seasons that uh, Esther and Mordecai and others in the story had to be willing to stand up. So tonight, I want to look at this aspect, stepping up in demanding, demanding seasons. Let's pray together. Father, thank you tonight for um, this day. Thank you for what you've done in our hearts. Thank you, Lord, even with the shift in our schedule, the extra sunlight this evening, and um, as we now pivot towards spring and all that that holds for us, we thank you for being able to gather tonight in, in this setting and to allow your word to speak to us. Lord, if we are honest with you, we many times try to avoid anything that puts a demand upon us and Lord, in that very place, that very juncture of demand is, is, is often the place that you've called us to stand for you. And I pray that we would be willing to be um, inconvenienced, that Lord, we'd be willing to be challenged and stretched, that Lord, we'd be willing to stand not just when it's easy, but Lord, when it requires our all, when it requires us to risk it all, um, to stand for you. And I pray that you'd use this story and the, these characters real flesh and blood people just like us and all that they felt and processed and that you would challenge us, Lord, in this day of great demands, of great crises, Lord, that we would be faithful, that we'd be found faithful in our stand. Bless the study tonight, be honored, and that we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I was trying to think of an opening illustration as it relates to demands, and I, I don't know if you can go back to the season if you've had it. Some of you have maybe not experienced this season, but parenting is one of the greatest joys um, that God gives to many of us to be a part of. But there are moments that we wonder, why in the world? Why did I get into this? And if you have yet to experience that, uh, if you are around kids for any length of time, you'll, you will experience that question. And uh, someone was trying to create, capture the analogy of what it's like to have a toddler. Do you remember that? Those of us who've had that season and um, they're just so low maintenance and yeah, right. Somebody said this, imagine being, so someone was trying to help somebody who hasn't had a toddler understand it. Imagine being in charge of a, chimp a chimpanzee who is allergic to sleep. That is a toddler, okay? Imagine being in charge of that. Um, I know for me, I try to be very um, efficient in how I manage my energy, my time, um, and sometimes I do that at the expense of moments and opportunities that God has put in my life that are meant to require more of me. So I'd like us to think about tonight where maybe we're not standing and instead we're ducking and weaving on things that God has put in front of us. Kind of this opening thought and then one packet tonight. Until we realize that we are put on this planet, planet not just for the easy, comfortable moments, but the few big or prolonged ones that demand our everything, we will never fully seize and steward the moments in history that we are called to occupy. And so I want to just challenge you with that tonight, with the, even the, the slide I showed you earlier of the three news stories, and I'm sure there's been updates and add-ons since then. If, I, didn't, I didn't track the news much more after about 6.05 today. It's like, okay, that's all I can handle for the day. But the, the, we live in a very demanding day. There's so many needs. There's so many what-ifs. And our responsibility is not to hunker down somewhere or to just put our head under a rock or in the sand. Our job is to stand uh, even in uh, this day. Now, again, just to set the table tonight, Mordecai and Esther were not perfect people. Uh, in fact, I think sometimes we kind of add some glossiness to their, their image 
uh, just because they're included in Scripture and it all ends so well as the book accounts. But nowhere before now do we see the book of Esther suggesting that Esther and Mordecai were people of great faith or of great conviction. If I were to ask you, start, start in chapter, you have only chapters 1 through 3 to prove to me that Mordecai and Esther were faithful followers of Jehovah God. I think we would be hard stretched to find even some remnants of that, any evidence of that. But something happens in chapter 4 that's unbelievable. That in this moment of great crisis, when the most is asked of them, they rise uh, to the occasion. And in chapter 4, they're still kind of working through it, but we begin to see the preview of where God is directing uh, the narrative. And so in the midst of all these circumstances, and even the demands that are going to be thrust upon Esther and Mordecai, God's behind the scenes working things out. And I just want to remind you, that is still our God. He is still working. He's still moving. Everything's going to be okay. And I'm not just saying that to try to just tell you something you want to hear tonight. If God is still God, then this is all going to play out in a way that truly is going to amaze us. We're going to worship him. We're going to glory in how all of this is resolved. And yet our responsibility until that occurs is to be faithful to stand. So here's the question as we begin tonight. In a world filled with those ducking and weaving on anything that demands much of them, how do we, in contrast, faithfully step up for the Lord in those seasons? All right, let's talk about two ways in which we can be faithful to stand uh, in demanding seasons as it relates to challenges. So what are two challenges we should be willing to stand up or step into uh, in the midst of demanding seasons? Number one, first of all, let's talk about a few minutes, number one, about demand of concern. So things that concern us, things that should concern us as we process what is going on uh, around us. And we'll get to Mordecai in just a moment, but Mordecai was very concerned about the edict the decision, um, the direction that uh, the kingdom was going and how that was going to affect his people. Um, and I just give you one example because our world is in free fall in multiple ways. There, it just Things are unraveling in so many different fronts. But this is one. A friend of mine sent this to me. So the Chinese right now are rewriting the Bible. So their thinking is as follows. And as we know, our missionary Mark Tolson uh, for several years now has not been able to be there. But instead of pushing Christianity out, they're actually retooling it to comply with communist thinking. And so I'd like you to read this because I think it should just follow along with me. So this is their, the new Bible that they've translated. This would be for high school students, this specific translation. This is John 8, 7 to 11. Jesus once said to the angry crowd who was trying to stone a woman who had sinned, he who is without sin among you, let him cast a stone at her. When his words came to their ears, they stopped moving forward. When everyone went out, Jesus stoned the woman himself and said, I am also a sinner. Now, I give you that as an example, almost just to jar you. Does that jar you? It does me. That you have Jesus stoning a woman and then even more, more egregious or her, her, heresy is the idea he's acknowledging that he is a sinner. At some point, we have to get concerned enough to stand. Um, and here's what I see us doing. We're concerned enough to talk and to fret and fume and maybe bloviate, if you will, be the big word. We just talk a lot about the problems of this world. Where do we need to, in our own little corner and part of this, where do we need to stand? I can't do anything about the translation going on right now in mainland China. But I can be faithful to God's word in my life and not just preaching it, living it tonight, tomorrow. 
Um, and, and so it, it, uh, we need to get concerned enough, as we see Mordecai doing, to be willing uh, to stand. When you get concerned, it's going to have demands that it imposes upon you. When you get burdened for the lost, your schedule's going to change. Your, your tone's going to change. Your outlook is going to change. And so the demand of uh, concern. Many believers nowadays, I'm not necessarily saying you all, if this is true of you, I trust God will encourage you, but many believers today have been lulled to sleep by pursuit of avoiding anything that puts extra demands on them. Man, some of you, let's be honest, we are so good at being efficient, but we're also not concerned about the things that God's concerned about. Are we willing to be inconvenienced? Are we willing to be stretched and grown and maybe made uncomfortable so we might stand up for the Lord. If you read Malachi, or, uh, Esther 4, 1 to 3, Mordecai is not comfortable. He's concerned, very concerned, and it leads to some things shifting and changing uh, as a result. All right, let's talk about a, a couple things as it relates to allowing the demand of concern uh, to prompt us to stand. Number one, stand up with concern in, in sincere inquiry. Be willing to ask some questions. Sincere inquiry. Would you be willing to ask? And we see Esther doing that. Go to verse 5. I love this. She asks two specific aspects of this question. So she hears of Mordecai. She sends some clothes. He won't change. So why? Here, here, here are the questions she asks. First of all, the end of verse 5, she gives this commandment to her chamberlain to ask Mordecai to know what it was and why it was. So first we see her asking what? What is wrong? What is off? What do I need to know to have the same concern that you do? So Esther begins <laughs> to hear about Mordecai, his mourning, his, his sackcloth and ashes. He's crying, he's screaming. The one who had been so dignified uh, is now moved to and reduced to this uh, this uh, demeanor that he's projecting. And so she asks him, she wants to know what is wrong. I don't know what Esther's spirit is in verse 5. She may have been, hey, Mordecai, what are you doing? You're ruining everything we've worked for. You're ruining our family name, our image, our perception in the kingdom, whatever, whatever her spirit was, but she was seeking to know uh, what was behind this behavior. May I say tonight, it is vital for the stewardship of our own time as we manage our lives and our relationship with God. It is vital that we're, as concern, that we're concerned about what God is concerned about. Do you think that God was concerned, not in the sense that he didn't know how this was going to play out, but do you think he was concerned about what was about to happen to his people, or at least proposed? Are we concerned about what God's concerned about? If we are, where, there is where we're synchronized, where we're in step with the Lord, we will stand for the Lord in those areas of concern. Do we concern ourselves with what God concerns himself? All right, and then notice not only she asked what, but also in why it was. And so she wants to know the reasoning behind the behavior and uh, what is about to happen. Now, here's, this is key tonight. It's very likely that Esther was so insulated as the queen, she had not even heard of this. So it wasn't like Mordecai was moved by it and Esther could care less. She didn't know. Uh, so she begins to seek answers and seek for information. She wants to know what should be of concern to her. Um, I, I hear this in our day, and, and I've said this to you at times, and I think many of you have said this to me. Some of you have told me, I just don't watch the news anymore. And I, 
I get that, and I'm with you on that. If you mean by that, I'm not going to watch 24-7 analysis of the news to tell me what to feel about things, then I agree with you. But if you are hiding out, if you're avoiding knowing what's going on in our culture and world where you need to be praying and standing and seeking God and begging God's face to do something in our day, you're out of step with the text this, this evening. We cannot, we cannot deny what's going on. We need to be concerned about what God is concerned about. And so giving ourselves to prayer and seeking God, and we see this pursuit on the part of Esther here. She inquires about the what, she inquires about the why. It's very tempting during a crisis to pretend we don't know and that we don't care to know. And yet no outlook could be further from God's will for each of us tonight. We should care about what he cares about. We should be moved by the plight of his people, the challenges and threats against them. Uh, we should be moved deeply by that. Someone was using this analogy. We all want to be free, don't we? I just want to be free of the challenges of this life and this world. And, and we just don't want to be encumbered by those things. One author used this analogy. A fish absorbs oxygen from water, not from air. So it's free only if restricted to water. If, quote, freed from water and put on grass, its freedom to move and live is destroyed. Freedom isn't the absence of restrictions, it's finding the right ones. What is water to a human being? It is loving God. We ought to feel about things the way God feels about things. It ought to constrict us, it ought to constrain us. The love of God constraineth uh, his people. Do we get concerned about what God is concerned about? All right, go down to verse 7. So this dialogue back and forth through the Chamberlain as Esther and Mordecai do not have direct access to each other with the palace and all of the procedural things associated with that. Verse 7, Mordecai told him all that had happened unto him and of some of money that Haman had promised to pay the king's treasury for the Jews to destroy them. Number two, jot this down. So we need to stand up with concern in sincere inquiry. Number two, stand up with concern in sober processing. So we need to soberly process what is happening during a demanding season. Um, if you notice with the word processed, if you notice that we tend to want to eat what is, not, what is least healthy for us, um, I tend to gravitate, if I'm not careful, toward processed food, unhealthy food. I shared this with the men a few weeks ago in our uh, split session on our wellness weekend. Someone said this, if you had to choose between eating bacon every day or being skinny for the rest of your life, would you choose applewood or hickory smoked? <laughs> you know where I'm going with that? We, we just, some of us were just literally food processing machines. We just, we process things and, and that, that's our gift to uh, humanity. We like to process things. I notice, though, we tend to process things that we want to process, and we simply discard or push aside things that we should process. Um, I think sometimes the reason we struggle with the stressors of life is because we just try to distance ourselves from them instead of looking at them with the courage of God's Word and God's Spirit. One of the things I love about the, the Scriptures is God brings things into the light, our sin, he doesn't pretend it's not there or let's just try to avoid this. He just brings it, kicking and screaming into the light. Are we doing that with the things in our world? Are we processing them? 
Are we denying them or are we processing them? Someone who stands in demanding seasons is willing to boldly uh, process them, to do so with sobriety. Notice how they process this. In verse 7, as we just read, you notice, first of all, that Esther is sobered by the situation. Mordecai gets her attention with how dire this situation is. He outlines Haman's plan, how the king had, promised, uh, had been promised money uh, for the destruction of the Jews. In fact, he even sends the very document that had been deployed um, by the uh, PR, the media, if you will, of the Persian Empire to, uh, dis- to disperse this message. And so he gives a copy of the document to Hatak, who then gives it to Esther to read. Can you imagine Esther reading that? As she begins to process, and here she has the king, who is her husband, and his right-hand man are the ones promoting this, and she, unbeknownst to them, is a Jew. Notice verse 8, it goes on, and he gave the copy of the writing, the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them, to show it unto Esther, and declare it unto her, here it is, and to charge her that she should go in unto the king to make supplication unto him, and to make requests before him. Notice these three little words in verse 8, for her people. Remember we talked about when Mordecai finally identified with the Jews, the, his co-workers kept saying, come on, just bow down. And he finally says, I'm not. Those are the, the, I'm a, a Jew. I can't do that. He identified with the Jewish people. This is probably the first moment that any of Esther's sphere of influence in the palace knew that she was a Jew. Mordecai says, let me remind you, these are your people. So she begins to process soberly, not just what it means for her people, but also for her. And so Esther here had to have been uh, overwhelmed by the ask, not just what she had asked Mordecai, but what Mordecai was asking of her. So number two, sobered by (laughs) the situation, number two, sobered by the ask. The ask that that he asked her, you notice that in verse eight, that she should uh, declare it Uh, declared in charge her that she should go into the king to make supplication unto him, sobered by the ask. I think some of the time, the reason we are not willing to process the things going on in our families and in our neighborhoods and in our communities and even in our church is because we know that's going to ask something or require something of us. And so if I just look past it, try to ignore it, pretend it's not there, then maybe no one will ask me of anything, ask me uh, anything. And so may we not avoid that uh, processing that leads to the requirement of a move on our part. All right, verse 9. Hatak come and, uh, came and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Again, Esther spake unto Hatak and gave him commandment unto Mordecai. Notice now Esther's response to this beginning in, or in verse 10. All the king's servants and the people of the king's province do know. All right, here's the, the standard way of processing going to the king. Whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king hold out the golden scepter, that he may live. But I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. And so the response of Esther here is not necessarily encouraging. The king had the legal right, if someone came in uninvited, to just say, off with their head. He, he was able to kill anyone who interrupted him. Some of us who would like a little more buffer, would you kind of like at least maybe a sanitized version of that? Off with their head. You interrupted my day, okay? Um, we, we, we tend to, in leadership sometimes, create some, some layers at least, and monarchs in this day would do that, and, 
And obviously, nothing would be more prohibitive of an unnecessary interruption than the threat of death itself. And so Esther here reminds Mordecai of the protocol of the court. And the reason she mentions at the end of verse number 11, I have not been called in unto him, the king in 30 days. Basically, she's saying this, I don't know if I'm viewed in a favorable light or not. And so what you're asking of me, not only is there the risk of death itself, I don't even know if I would find favor because I haven't seen him in a month. I, I don't know if I'm, and as we know, because we've studied on him, he, he would ebb and flow, a very fickle, very fickle king. And so she didn't know if she was out of favor or in favor. She expresses the concerns and even fears that she has with what is being asked of her. Now, key point this evening the why needed to be asked, not just of Mordecai's visible anguish. That's where this all started. Esther says, why are you mourning? Why are you in sackcloth and ashes? Not only did that need to be answered, here it is, but the why needed to be asked of Esther's previously comfortable position, position of great influence. Why was Esther the queen? And Mordecai begins to put out the thought, the question that we're about to find the answer for why Esther has been put in this position. God has used even the mistakes that have been made, the twists and turns for this very moment. I heard someone say this the other day as it relates to the stewardship of our lives. We often hear life is short, so you better enjoy it. That drives me crazy. I have to be honest. I understand the spirit of it. Spend time with your family and do the things on your bucket list, but Uh, We hear that sentiment in our day. Life is short, you better enjoy it. Somebody said this, how about eternity is long? You better prepare for it. And I'm telling you, our lives are are a setup for the rest of of eternity. And what we do, and I know I'm preaching in the choir when I say that. You're here on a Sunday night and you're a student of the Word. You're trying to grow in your walk with the Lord. But may we be very careful to see that life is about more than our pleasure and our own temporal pursuits. Christian, tonight, you and I are alive at this very moment not to get by or to get the most out of life that we can. We have been put on this earth, not just for the joyful, lighthearted moments, but the heavy moments where we can and we must exert our influence. That's why we're here. And I want to encourage you this week, look for those moments where, where there is a, a demanding something in it. Maybe it's not a, in a flash, it's just a grind. Some of you navigate things that are drip, drip kind of things. Are you willing to lean into those instead of avoiding those? Men, can I challenge us first? We do. We cheat any, we cut any corner we can. Let's be honest tonight. We don't have the conversations with the teens in the other room. We, we don't take the time to invest in our marriages. We, we cut corners because it demands of us. That's why we're here. Ladies, young people, all of us, the demands of life are really where we find our mission and our purpose. We are here not to exist. We're not here to avoid. We're here to be responsible, and we do so by becoming concerned. Get concerned about the things that concern God, and let the demands of that be shouldered by you and me. All right, number two. Go back to our text now, and I love this shift in verse 13. So Esther kind of has some reservations as humanly speaking, she should have, you know, we know the end of the story and we're like, come on, Esther, you know, this is all going to go. Okay. 
She doesn't know that at this point. Verse 12, they told to Mordecai Esther's words. Um, I don't know what Haytack's view of this conversation was, but I mean, he's just running back and forth and all the, the, the semantics and, and the dialogue back and forth. And so finally, these words get back to Esther. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. All right, number two. Let's talk for a few minutes about the demand of faith. So the demand of concern, that would be what is, seeing it, sensing it, being uh, challenged to stand up against it where we can. The positive side of the coin would be to trust God also requires something of us. Here's the temptation we have. Well, I'm just going to trust God. Well, you know, when, when we get to heaven, then everything's going to be okay. God has never given to his people a passive uh, position. Yeah, we know how this ends, but our present days, every day, is a part of the resolution or the fulfillment of what he's promised. We're living lives that are a part of that. We're a means uh, to everything that he has promised to us. And so we must merge into that to trust God actually requires much of us. Um, we're getting ready after Easter. I've been working on the series a bit, um, talking about the significance of one person in Hebrews 11 who trusted God. A lot of those people, their faith in God cost them everything. Cost them everything. Moses abdicated possibly the throne of the most powerful kingdom of his day. Um, Abraham offering his son, the list goes on. Faith costs us. It demands much of us, and I think our view of faith often is skewed in a way that's out of, out of step with Scripture. And so Mordecai here, I love this, in verse number 13, I'm sorry, verse 14, we see now this declaration of faith. We'll come back to his, his encouragement to Esther, but do you see that in verse number 14? He says, no matter what you do, there shall then enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. Faith comes rushing back in. In some ways, Mordecai here has one of the biggest pendulum swings. He's, he's devastated in verses 1 to 3. And now here in, in verse 14, his faith is renewed. He, he reminds himself that God has always been faithful and God always will be faithful. I joked about it this morning a little bit with the gas prices. Landon, Landon and I were snorting or laughing about this this afternoon. I showed him this picture. So here's the picture. And then here's the caption. This is me and the fam on the way to church to pray for these gas prices. This is us, okay? The guy, I don't even think he can see with the kid on his shoulders. They're all on a little scooter that probably is a bit more efficient than what you came to church in tonight. To go to church and pray about these gas prices. It's, man, are we going to make it here? We're over four bucks a gallon. Last night I got excited. I was driving on 30, I think it's the new Speedway, and I saw 379. I'm like, man, I can't believe this. I, no one else talking about it. It was ethanol. That was the, the price for ethanol. I've even pulled in before I realized it. But just, it's amazing the things that shake our faith, the things that worry us, and the demands that that's going to have upon us, the demand of faith. Mordecai here is not trusting in the, the ear of the Persian king. Do you notice that? He could easily say, and if this doesn't work out, Esther, I don't know what's going to happen. He wasn't trusting in Esther having the ear of the king. He was trusting in the king, the king, uh, the Lord himself, who would always and had always preserved his people. All right, a couple things under that. Number one, 
stand up with faith in personal responsibility. How do we evidence our faith and our stand? By taking personal responsibility. Esther here starts out asking the questions as the king, but very shortly now something is asked of her. She is asked to step up, to own her personal responsibility. What are a couple of things that she is admonished or challenged to own? Number one, personalized accountability. Do you see that as we read in verse number 13? Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape. Later on, he talks about it will impact your father's house. And so he stresses personal responsibility. She would not escape even as the queen. Um, someday, you and I will answer for our stand or lack thereof, right? We will. We will stand and give an account. And one of the things we'll give an account for is whether we stood or not in this life. And, and you can convince yourself and reason your way out of uh, living with conviction, and so can I. But someday we will answer for how we steward the demanding seasons and whether we stood for the Lord. Uh, verse 14, he says, not only think not that you will escape, but also your house. He says, but thou, if you don't stand, thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. Number two, your personalized influence. So Esther is told here by Mordecai, your decision will impact our family. Your decision to stand or to not stand will impact the legacy of how we're viewed as a family and the consequences thereof. And so uh, our stand or lack thereof impacts those who come after us. Um, I'm a big believer in initiative. I've used this analogy several times, but I remember when I got my CDL that they were teaching us, and I, especially early on, I was driving pretty good-sized coach buses, and, and they would talk to us about being careful on turns. And one of the things that they taught us was you need to slow down before you get to a turn, but then you accelerate through the turn. That actually what stabilizes a vehicle is not idling, coasting, or braking, but actually accelerating through the curve. And I think for a lot of us, our initiative, the lack of initiative is where we get ourselves in trouble. We're not, we're not moving forward. We're not leaning into the demanding seasons. Here's the point of it. When the world is against us and everything's in chaos, there are two options. We can run from things. Remember, I talked to you about that a few weeks ago. It's hard to stand when we feel like the safest thing to do is to run. But I'm telling you, Hans and I, just in discipleship last week, we were talking about this. Look at the Christian armor. How much of it covers our backside? And yet we feel like if we turn and run, that somehow that's the safer. No, the, the safest position is to stand and to lean into those demands. Uh, and so wherever that applies in your family, in our community, at work, whatever the case may be, show initiative, own your personal responsibility. It's the safest and most sanctified position. Uh, and so Mordecai here, I think, is just reminding her isolation is not, not the answer, Esther. Inaction will be costly. Uh, in fact, their, their family would have become, if Esther had not stood, can you imagine how this book would have read differently? I don't know who would have the, name, the book would have been named after, but her family would have also been, uh, always been associated with apathy and indifference where they should have stood with the influence that God had given them. Fatalism should never have a part in the ranks of God's people. We ought to know better. We come from stock, don't we? Of people who stood. And as they're faithfully standing, God blessed that and used that. And we are still recipients of the stand that they took. 
I remember my grandma growing up, farmer. My dad grew up a dairy farmer in Carroll County. We would stay the night at my grandma's, and I remember on the, uh, I was just reading something the other day talking about before pictures, like somebody in the family would say, you look like great grandma so-and-so, and you just have to take their word. You have their nose, and you don't know if you did or do or not, but I mean, who's to argue with that? And then when photos came along, but I remember in my grandma's house, on the stairs going upstairs, creaky stairs that wound up to the upstairs of the farmhouse, there were those bubble pictures, you know, the ones that kind of, especially when it was dark, a little spooky. I would just kind of like, as a kid, I'd look away from them, these dead people on the wall and the bubbles, you know. Um, I just remember that. But in the morning, I would come down, and my grandma always had like easy listening, big band type of music playing on her little radio on the, like a, a red... Uh, tile countertop. I can still see that little radio there. And one of the songs I remember hearing a lot was Que Sera Sera. You know the song? Doris Day, I think, was the, the singer of that song. And uh, that word, that expression, Que Sera Sera, whatever will be, will be, right? Um, it was interesting because I was kind of just looking into where did that expression come from and what's the uh, linguistic background of that I would say it's, it's Spanish. That would be, you know, what I would guess that it is. But actually, that expression doesn't find its home in any language originally. That's an English-contrived expression we've kind of ripped out of a little bit of Italian and Spanish and some things as far as that I could read, that it actually doesn't even have its origins in a real language, which I find interesting because que sera, sera is the mindset of a lot of people. Whatever will be, will be. I, us Ohioans, we're always mocked of this. It is what it is, right? We say that. Okay, wow, that's obvious. Thank you. It, it is what it is. There's the profound thought for us, okay? It, 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 whatever will be, will be. And it is that fatalistic view uh, that often keeps us from standing where God has called us to do so. Quick verse, another Old Testament example. Go to the book of Joshua. I think you need to see the verse as we kind of stress this in our families and in our stand for the Lord, just one verse, the end of Joshua, maybe you thought of this verse as well, Joshua 24 and verse 15. I love Joshua. There's a lot that he didn't get right in his leadership and walk with the Lord, but he loved the Lord. He didn't depart from the tabernacle, and this is toward the end of his earthly leadership and ministry to Israel. In verse 15, this, this is where I try to strike the balance in my own heart, and I trust you will as well. He says this in verse 15, If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. So you, you guys choose. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's where that balance is. You And I... Honestly, I have to say that you guys do whatever God leads you to do or whatever you choose to do. But to the best of my ability, with God's help, I want to stand where God tells me to stand. And so we need that spirit. We need a renewal of that spirit. And, and here would be the last thought. We'll move to our second point tonight. There's a lot in this world I can't control or change, but I can control my attitude, my home, my spirit, my outlook. That's where I need to stand. And if we would all do that, who knows what God could do, what influence we could exert, what impact we could have if we would simply stand up with personal responsibility. All right, lastly, look, if you will, at the beginning of verse 14, he says, go back, if you will, to our text. In verse 14, he says, 
you hold your peace. If you do, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. Who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Number two, stand up with faith in inevitable deliverance. So we have faith that owns our personal responsibility. Number two, one that believes in the inevitable deliverance that God will provide. I was reading the other day, I heard someone reference this. Do you know uh, uh, ivory soap, the idea it floats? I mean, that's been a thing since like the 1800s, you know. Back in the day before we had like body wash and other things, you know, the soap would fall in the water and you're trying to feel around to get it. And ivory, their big thing that they would market still do is, it, is their soap floats. And the story has been for literally <laughs> over a century that it happened on accident. So I was digging into that. Was just, that was an interesting story to me. And just about two years ago, so the, the, the story was that somehow they aerated some soap accidentally and stumbled onto how to make soap, bars of soap, float. Um, and what came out just a couple of years ago uh, was in, in, in 1863, a notebook entry by James Gamble with Procter & Gamble that actually they did it on purpose. Um, and that just came out recently. They've kind of, they, they didn't necessarily create the legend, but they also did not confront it. And just recently it came out that actually they did so uh, on purpose. You know, one of the things I love about God is that his people, no matter how much people pile on and attack, they just always rise. It, we just always rise to the top. And, and we need a tenacious belief in that. Uh, we need to return to that in our day where some are fatalist. Those who are negative, a belief that God's people always are ultimately delivered. And if nothing else, we're delivered through death itself, right? Death is a, it's a gateway. It precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And so uh, we need a fresh view and belief that God always delivers his people. All right, a couple things about that and we're done. First of all, number one, jot this down, inevitable intervention. Inevitable, do we believe in the inevitable intervention of our God? Now, Mordecai is nowhere prior to chapter 4 pictured as an extremely pious man. He's not, we don't see any evidence of spiritual activity. We don't see any evidence of, of him living in an active sense in covenant relationship with God. And yet you notice he's aware of the promises that God will deliver his people. And, and he begins to reflect upon that and to now point and remind Esther of this same truth, that God uh, will act, he will intervene on the behalf of his people. He does hope that Esther will be the means to it, but he knows no matter what, God is going to intervene. Um, and so what a striking contrast between the first few verses of the chapter, and now here we are 13 verses later, we see this about face on the part of Mordecai. Now here, just a thought. I was reading this. One author said, what happened to Mordecai? Why the change from desperate to bold? Here's the author. One author said his best guess. God awakened a suppressed belief. On Mordecai's mama's knee, he had probably been told of Moses and a million Hebrews and how they had an angry sea on one side and an angry Pharaoh on the other side, how a shepherd boy stood waist high with a Goliath of a giant, how Daniel could hear the growling of the lions and the growling of their tummies, but then God spoke up, the sea opened up, David rose up, and the lions shut up. It dawned on Mordecai that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was alive and well and undefeated in battle. 
The Jews were far from Jerusalem, but they were not far from God. Mordecai may have neglected his role as a curator of the covenant, but God had not forgotten his role as a covenant keeper. God's heart was still attached to his people, a remnant carried away from Zion and living in exile in Persia. The Jews had no king, no army, no temple, no priesthood, no sacrifices, and yet they still had Jehovah God. And so what happens here, Mordecai shifts and he remembers, wait, we're the Jews. We have Jehovah. He will intervene on behalf of his people. Now let's bring that into the New Testament era. In Matthew 16 and verse 18, Christ said, I will build my church, right? And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Christ intervenes on behalf of his people. Someone said this, I shared this um, recently with a group of men. An author said this, it belongs to the church of God to receive blows rather than to inflect them. But she is an anvil that has worn out many hammers. And the world just keeps beating and beating and beating. And God's people just go on. They just go on because God intervenes on our behalf. Do we believe that today? Here's what I find. The reason we're not standing is I don't know if we believe that as much as we claim to. If we do, then let's just stand, brethren. He will intervene, being faithful to occupy until he does just that. All right, verse 15. So all this is processed. He asks the rhetorical question, who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Now notice Esther's response. I love this. Then Esther bade them return uh, Mordecai this answer. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise and so I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. Number two, and lastly, inevitable blessing. Inevitable blessing. Esther believes that God will bless her efforts, her stand for him. And so she surrenders to what God has called her to do and be. The fasting here seems to indicate some piety on the part of Esther. Again, we don't have much record of her prior to this, but it's almost as if we need God to be a part of this. And so would you pray and would you fast and together let's seek the Lord as I step into and lean into what God is calling me to do. I really think in verse number 16, you see a turning point in the life of Hadassah turned Esther. She goes, listen to me, she goes from beauty pageant queen to a leader in this moment. She steps into, she tells Mordecai what to do. The, the language here is a command. She doesn't ask cousin Mordecai, she tells him. There is now an assertiveness on her part to lead where God has called her to lead. A belief in the inevitable blessing of God upon her. Can I ask you a question tonight? Do you believe in the dramatic and the inevitable deliverance of God? Do you think God's going to deliver us? Do you really believe that? If you do, then you're willing to stand. And where we claim to believe it and we're not willing to stand betrays where we actually lack belief in that truth. What's the world believe? I don't know what they believe, but they don't necessarily believe it's going to all work out okay. In fact, they often believe more of a Shakespearean tragedy kind of view of life. Probably it's all going to end pretty poorly here. There's a negative view. There's a dim view of the future. 
We alone as God's people can with confidence believe the future is bright, that God will take us to a better place. He is faithful to intervene. I read this the other day, found on the wall of a concentration camp during World War II. One of the occupants there of one of those shacks scrawled this in the wall. I believe in the sun even though it doesn't shine. I believe in love even when it isn't shown. I believe in God even when he doesn't speak. That's the book of Esther, folks. We don't see his name. He doesn't say anything. And yet Esther puts it all on the line. Mordecai puts it all on the line because they believe that God would show up. And so may we be faithful to stand for the Lord in the place that he has called us. The Christian's attitude in difficulty and trying circumstances should not be one of fatalism, but one of optimism especially when it comes to approaching the throne of God, which gives us a place to find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. Esther ultimately has the scepter extended to her. We'll get to that story in a moment, but we have a throne we can go to, right? That, that we can have favor. We don't have to wonder, will the scepter be extended? It's been extended to us through the finished work of Jesus Christ, right? We can come boldly under the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help in time of need. And so we have that place. We have that confidence. Can we not then stand uh, in it? Uh, last picture tonight. I don't know if you're familiar with the Queen of England or not and uh, some of her stuff, but I, I, with my brother being in London, her speech at Christmas and some of that. But this is a, she wrote this just recently on her um, Jubilee. This would be on February 6th. Uh, the Queen became the first British monarch to celebrate, oh, I'm sorry, a platinum jubilee, marking 70 years of rule. She's the first one to rule and reign in Great Britain for that long. And I won't bore you or bother you with some of the statements, but can you make out her signature so you see Elizabeth there? She doesn't say queen or anything like that. Can you read those two words above her name? Your servant. Your servant. And that was striking um, to those many have have opined or commented on that since she wrote that letter to her subject. She signs it as your servant, Elizabeth. Why was Esther the queen? Why, why had she been pampered and coddled and welcomed into the palace and all that? What's the why? The why was to serve the Lord and to serve her people, right? And the way she was going to do that was by willing to take a stand. And so for us to be faithful with the time and the influence that God has given us, we must do so with a humble desire to serve by being willing to stand. A queen servant. So this final thought, and we'll pray tonight, the question is not, will God prevail? The question is, will you be a part of that prevailing? God's going to prevail, right? His people are going to prevail. The question before Esther and Mordecai and for us tonight is, are we going to be a part of that? of God delivering and what he has promised to his people. What moved Esther from saying, I can't do anything, to I'm willing to lose everything? What took her from, if I go, I will perish, to if I perish, I perish? Esther had a window, if you will, open to her, and Mordecai said to her, listen, this is why you're where you're at. In this moment in time, next to the king, you're here for this moment to stand. And because of that, she went from, I can't do anything that, I'll do, that I'm willing to lose everything. Instead of, I'm going to perish, if I perish, I perish. I will stand for the Lord. Here's the question. Will you allow God to supernaturally help you step up for his glory 
even in seasons of demanding concerns and demanding faith. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word tonight.